Oh, yeah, one more thing. Great opportunities in our Calvary Kids ministry. That's our regular children's ministry connected with the services. Saturday, we're looking for three people. Sunday, we're looking for three people, 9 a.m. Uh, this service, we're looking for nine, nine people. And Wednesday, 7 p.m., we're looking for three. So if you can get involved with that children's ministry resource room or call us or go online and we'll get you in touch with the right person. Revelation chapter 2. I've chosen, I'm not sure exactly why, except I've felt led last week and this week uh, to not use the PowerPoint at all. Just felt led that way. We'll probably go back to using some PowerPoint in the future. Uh, but as I said last week, if you don't get the message uh, here, it won't be because it wasn't on PowerPoint. I'll guarantee you that. The letters to the seven churches and the messages in them are messages for the church age. Uh, some of us might be anxious to get past these messages and these seven letters because you want to get to the meat of the prophecy of end times events, which is the majority of the book. I understand that. But please know this. Uh, we don't want to hurry through the messages found in these seven letters to these seven churches because if we'll heed the messages that are in them, then we will be ready when Jesus comes. That's what the book is about, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the end of the world as we know it, and Jesus' second coming. And if we ignore the messages uh, in these seven letters to these seven churches, we won't be ready when he does come and when we meet him. So we want to be ready. We left off verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, penetrating scrutiny. Hebrews 4, 13, there's nothing hidden uh, from God's sight. Everything is open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So he knows all, he sees all. Whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That represents judgment he is the ultimate divine judge. He sees all, he knows all, and he will call all to account. I know your deeds, <clears throat> your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Now that's quite a commendation. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality, and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. She likes the bed, the bed of immorality. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to give you a bed. It won't be so comfortable, so pleasurable. And I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. He doesn't say what that is, but if he warns of intense suffering, take it seriously. Unless they repent of their ways, I will strike her children dead. I can only take that at face value. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, <coughs> and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. 
Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, evidently what Jezebel was teaching, professed knowledge that others did not have. And of course, with that, there's a spiritual pride and an immoral and self-indulgent lifestyle that she justified. I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That is just fascinating every time I read it. To believe the truth that we're going to rule and reign with Christ one day. It's just incredible. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. That's from Psalm 2 verse 9, a messianic prophecy that when Jesus comes, he will indeed rule and reign with an iron scepter and we will rule and reign with him. Fascinating stuff. Just as I received authority from my father, I'll also give him the morning star. We'll come back to that. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, the churches, not just this one church, the churches. Thyatira, the other thing we know biblically about Thyatira is in Acts chapter 16, Paul the apostle and those with him went down to a river to find a place to pray. They encountered a woman there named Lydia from Thyatira. She's a dealer in purple cloth. She's a businesswoman. Uh, The purple dye was produced in her uh, town of Thyatira. She was a worshiper of God. That's what Acts 16 says. Uh, if you worship the true God and you seek to know the true God, he'll give you greater revelation about himself. And that's what he did uh, for Lydia through the apostle Paul. She heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. She received Christ as Lord and Savior. When she goes back to Thyatira, she's not just a worshiper of God. She's a Christian. A Christian. She would have probably heard <clears throat> this message from Jesus to the church of Thyatira. Now, both Thyatira and Pergamum are given tremendous commendation, but they are also given rebuke for the exact same sins, eating food, sacrificed idols, and sexual immorality. We learned last week, eating food sacrificed to an idol is not sin in itself. Uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, No, it's the association of those who are eating food sacrificed to idols. We went to Numbers 25. Uh, We learned that Balak, from the message to the church of Pergamum, Balaam taught Balak, the king of Moab, uh, how to get to the Israelites by seducing them through the Moabite women. The Moabite women, women went out and invited the men to the uh, sacrifices of their gods. In Numbers 25, we read it. It says they ate They ate and they bowed down. And through that association with those who were not serving God, the true God, uh, they ended up in bed with these women. That's what happened. So there's the connection between the eating of food sacrificed to idols and the sexual immorality. It's very simply, it's very simply ungodly associations uh, that lead you into sexual sin. That's the bottom line. Same sin. Same rebuke, Pergamum and Thyatira, with a couple of differences. I'll try to remember the second one in a few minutes. I mean, I'll try to remember to say it. I remember it. Uh, The first is um, 
The means of the leading astray in Pergamum was through a man named Balaam. The means, the instrument of the leading astray in Thyatira, Thyatira was a woman named Jezebel. Here's the deep difference between the two. Balaam's a guy, Jezebel's a girl. Just let that sink in for a minute. I think you'll get it. Sometimes the temptation and the seduction comes through a man, and sometimes it comes through a woman. Watch out for both. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel. And some through the association and through the relationships ended up wandering away and committing sexual sin. You know, I I realized early on as a Christian, there's some people in the church uh, that you hang out with and there's some people in the church you don't hang out with. Now, that may not be true, be true for every, every single local church. Smyrna may be an exception, but it's a very small exception. Smyrna, the suffering church, there was no rebuke for that church. But most local churches, right after I became a Christian at age 19, I went off to what is now Liberty University. University at the time, it was Liberty Baptist College. Those of you who have been around know this story. You're just going to hear it again with a few added things maybe you didn't know. Um, All the freshmen were required to uh, take a class called Christian Life. Now, when I was at Liberty, there were no no buildings on the mountain at all, none. Uh, The classes were at Thomas Road Baptist Church. Uh, Christian Life was in the main sanctuary of the church because that was the largest um, meeting room, uh, several thousand seats. And there were hundreds, if not thousands, of freshman students that had to take Christian life uh, class. C. Sumner Wimp, Dr. C. Sumner Wimp, I love that guy. He was so enthusiastic and zealous for Jesus, and and his his zeal was contagious. And I I love Christian life class. I grew in that class. One of the things we had to do for class is memorize Scripture. And I remember our first test uh, to... Uh, write down the scripture memory that we had been assigned the previous class. And uh, Dr. Wimp came in, normal enthusiasm, prayer, and then he said, take out a piece of paper on the upper right-hand corner, write your name, and then with closed Bibles, write out your memory verses. Then we were to pass them down to the aisle and then down to the front. And I'll never forget... I couldn't help but see around me some people hiding behind the pews from Dr. Wimp, but with their Bibles open at their side and peeking down and writing their verses. I was shocked. Christians cheating on a Christian life test. (laughs) I mean, come on, how ironic is that? That was just the beginning of my surprise. My dorm was a Ramada Inn. Now, there were no dorms. They had um, leased property and all over, all over, as my late friend who's with the Lord, Vivian Laird, would say, all over the dunya. (laughs) And they bust us everywhere, bust us all over the place. 
And my dorm was a Ramada Inn that was going bankrupt, and the college um, did a lease with them where all of the second floor, and there was only two floors uh, at this Ramada Inn, all the second floors uh, were dorm rooms. Well, some extra students came in, and they leased a couple of extra rooms on the first floor, and those rooms were right inside of the balcony where my room was. Now, I was shocked one evening when I'm out, and these guys come pulling in, and they get out of their car. I, had, I knew who they were, but I didn't have a relationship with them. I knew who they were. And from my background, it was very easy to, uh, uh, to ascertain that when they got out of the car and went to walk to the room, they're just sloppy drunk. They're just drunk. One of the guys ended up kicking, getting kicked out of school. Uh, ultimately, the other guy just voluntarily quit. See, when I went to Liberty, I thought everybody at Christian college is a Christian. Why else would you be there? And I thought every Christian at Christian college would be committed to Christ. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way it was. And then I was really blown away when it went public that some students were actually dismissed from the school because they had been caught committing sexual immorality. Oh, it just continued, though. I mean, we had all these great speakers. They still have great speakers at Liberty I remember an evangelist came to town. I think it was James Robinson. He was there several times in uh, several meetings. And then after one of the last meetings, uh, some were given an opportunity to stand up uh, at the podium there at the church in a chapel service and share how they had received Christ during those evangelistic meetings. One was a well-known basketball player named Carl Hess. And I'll never forget Carl getting up and sharing how he had been a phony and he had fooled people including his parents, who thought he was a Christian. But he was a phony. He was just a good hypocrite. And then I go to my mailbox one day, and I get a letter from my mother. And I open it. And my mother informs me through this letter, and that was before the days of email or texting or anything like that, that my youth pastor back home had lost his job with the church because it had been discovered that he had had several sexual relationships with some of the girls in the youth group, not to mention at least one woman in the church. I was 19 years old when I got saved, didn't fit in anywhere exactly with the church I was a part of, so I went to Mike Cassidy, the youth pastor. He was a classic youth pastor, full of life, funny, great communicator. I said, can I hang out with the youth group? He said, sure. He became my youth pastor at age 19, my age, 19. His sexual sin ruined his marriage, ruined his ministry. Devastating. And devastated the church. I learned early on. I learned early on in my Christian life. There's some people at Christian school you don't want to hang around with. I learned early on in my Christian life there's some people in the church you don't want to hang around with. I learned early on in my Christian life there's some people in the church that are just outright hypocrites. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. Tolerate. You might not have been involved uh, with her and those that were following her ways, uh, but you knew about it and you didn't take a stand. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. You didn't take a stand. 
But before we put up a, a Thyatira church dartboard and start tossing darts that way, hey, Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel, it takes courage to stand up against that spirit in the church. It takes courage. We looked last week at Numbers 25, but we didn't finish the story. And I'm not going to go back to it. I'm just going to tell you briefly what happened. In the midst of all the sexual sin that's going on, a leader in the Israelite community brings a woman into the camp in front of Moses and everybody else, goes to take her into his tent to commit sexual sin with her. Phinehas, the grandson of Aaron the priest, says, that's enough. Now, we have a hard time grasping some of these stories in the Old Testament and, you know, stomaching them and even receiving them. Understand the economy is a nation with a government, and included in that government is the priesthood. And Phinehas had the authority before God to do what he did. As hard as it is for us to take, what did he do? He followed that guy into the tent. He followed that woman into the tent. And in the very act, he took a spear and he drove it through both of them. And here's what the Bible says. After he did that, the plague was stopped because somebody had the courage and the spiritual fortitude to take a stand against what was going on now, I hope you're like me and very thankful that that's not the way we handle it in the New Testament church. Some of you are going, how, how, you, how do you guys handle it at Calvary Chapel? This is my first day here. I'd like to know. I'd like to know whether I need to leave now. Well, you can't leave now because we've locked the doors. How do we handle it? In the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not even occur among the pagans. A man has his father's wife, obviously not his mother, his stepmother, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and have put out of your fellowship the man who did this? Even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. And I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, and I'm with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan. Do not miss the purpose. Here's the purpose. So that the sinful nature may be destroyed and his spirit saved on the day of the Lord. That's the purpose. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And please don't miss these last few verses because this is for every one of us as part of the church of Jesus Christ. I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world, 
who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters who don't know Christ. In that case, you would have to leave this world. That's pretty practical instruction. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. That's how we're instructed to handle it in the New Testament church. No association. It's not a self-righteous thing. It's not a looking down on them. It's for the purpose of discipline. And if they're unrepentant, we put them out of the church. We disfellowship for the purpose of the kind of discipline that hopefully will bring them to a place of repentance. That if they really know Christ, they don't go down a path. As a Christian, they experience unnecessary hurt and pain in their own lives, and their families personally. And if they don't know Christ, that they really come to know Christ in a very real way. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. But as I said a minute ago, listen, taking a stand for righteousness, especially in the world we live in, I mean, we're living in a day where it's almost you know, pretty much accepted, Gen- generally speaking, that you're living together and you're living like you're married, but you're not married. It's pretty much just kind of accepted in our culture. Well, it's not accepted in, in God's kingdom. It's not accepted. It's sin. But to take a stand against the spirit of Jezebel takes courage. It takes fortitude, spiritual fortitude. Jezebel, Jezebel, whether the woman in Thyatira was actually named Jezebel or not, I don't know, but we know who she's being referred to, Old Testament Jezebel, the queen of Israel married to a guy named Ahab, King Ahab. Here's what 1 Kings 21, 25 says about Ahab. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, but that's not the whole verse. Let me read you the whole verse. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. The context of that verse is King Ahab trying to buy a vineyard that he really wants from a guy named Naboth. Naboth says, listen, I can't do that. That's my family uh, heritage, and it wouldn't be right for me to do that, so... Ahab goes back to the palace and he's sulking. Jezebel comes home, sees her husband sulking, says, what's the matter? He tells her the story about not being able to acquire Naboth's vineyard. Jezebel goes away and plots a wicked scheme, has Naboth killed, goes back to her husband, says, Naboth's dead. I took care of the situation. Get his vineyard. He does. Jezebel was responsible for the death of many of the Lord's true prophets. You read the story in 1 Kings. A godly man named Obadiah hid a hundred prophets in two caves, 50 in each one, from Jezebel to save them. 1 Kings 18.19 says that 400 prophets of Asherah ate at Jezebel's table. She fed them regularly. If you know anything about the worship of the goddess Asherah, sexual immorality was always tied in with it. Jezebel 
was a woman and a spirit to be reckoned with. Even the great prophet Elijah, after 1 Kings 19, the story of 400 prophets of Asherah that ate at Jezebel's table, 450 prophets of Baal stood there against the true God and Elijah representing the true God. If you know the story, God answers by fire, proves himself to be the true God. Elijah has all 850 false prophets killed. Word gets back to Jezebel and Jezebel threatens the great prophet Elijah and Elijah himself runs for his life and hides in a cave. Jezebel. Takes courage. Takes godly courage. But when confronted, when we do take a stand, what are those caught up in the ungodly relationships and the sexual sin, what are they going to do? That's the second difference in the message to Pergamum and the message to Thyatira. The message to Pergamum and the rebuke for the exact same sins, ungodly relationships and sexual immorality, same rebuke. Here's the second difference though. To Pergamum, it was the first confrontation. To Thyatira, Jesus says, I've given her time to repent. I've given Jezebel time to repent. She's unwilling. And there's no call for Jezebel herself to repent because it's a declaration by Jesus. No, I'm going to judge her. And as I judge her, here's what he says. All the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. He's going to hold Jezebel and what everybody's going to see happens to Jezebel up as an example. So hopefully even those who have been caught up in that sin, but it's not time for judgment on them yet, they're still given time. That's what the end of verse 22 says unless they repent of her ways. I'm going to judge her. I'm going to hold her up as an example, and you need to learn from that example. And if you haven't gotten caught up in it, stay pure. If you have gotten caught up in it, repent, because you're going to end up like her. And you don't want to go there. The consequences, I, I can only take it, as it says, a bed of suffering. I'll strike her children did. I'd do that in every situation? Of course not. But that's what happened to her. David and Bathsheba, after their sexual encounter, sin, God took the child. That's what he did. He took the child. Does he do that in every situation? Of course not. But he did here. He did with David and Bathsheba. That's up to the Lord. But there are always consequences. <clears throat> always consequences. And God uses those like Jezebel to hold up as an example so that hopefully we will learn. Learn. Let me just throw a few out. Leviticus chapter 10, Nadab and Abihu, two sons of Aaron, they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord and God took their lives. 
Balaam, even though we learned last week, he confessed his sin. He never repented. And Numbers chapter 31, verse 8, and Joshua chapter 13, verse 22 tells us that when Israel came into the land of promise, they killed in the name of the Lord, Balaam, son of Beor. He was destroyed. Jezebel. In 1 Kings 21, verse 23, after the wicked plot to get Naboth's vineyard for her husband, Elijah prophesies to her. And here's what he says. Dogs will devour Jezebel's flesh by the wall of Jezreel. She pays no attention to that prophecy. She walks away and just continues her immoral lifestyle. And you have to go all the way to 2 Kings chapter 9. New king in Israel is named Yehu. Jehu, he comes into town, and it's the town where Jezebel just happens to be. She's up in a room with an open window. She gets herself all gussied up with extra makeup, and she looks out the window, and she sarcastically greets uh, King Yehu. Three eunuchs are in the room with her. He says, if you're for the Lord, throw her down. They take her and throw her down. But before they can recover her body, the dogs devour her flesh by the wall of Jezreel. When they do come to clean things up, I know it's hard, but it's the Bible. All they could find were her hands, her feet, and her skull. Second Kings chapter 9. Not a story I'd recommend for your children, but one you should read. There is a way to teach it to your children. It's the Bible. God used Elijah to say to Ahab, because of what you've done, urged on by your wife, and taking Naboth's vineyard. In the same place that the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, they will lick your blood. Yes, yours. He walks off, doesn't pay any attention. He continues on with his sinful lifestyle. And you get to 1 Kings chapter 22. And Ahab has gotten Jehoshaphat, the other king of the northern kingdom, to go with him against Ramoth Gilead, the enemy. And as they go out to battle... It says one of the enemy archers just randomly shot an arrow. Randomly shot an arrow. It went right in between the pieces of Ahab's armor, and he died. They took his chariot, and they washed his chariot in the exact same place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, and the dogs from Ahab's chariot licked his blood. You can run, but you cannot hide. Number says, be sure your sin will find you out. You say, those are really graphic stories, and that's not really the way it is in the New Testament, isn't it? Is it? Hey, have you read the judgment? Have you read what's, what's the future for those who don't know Christ? You think those stories are graphic. Jesus says in Matthew 25, when he comes, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. Those who know him from those who don't. And those who don't, they will go away into 
Eternal punishment. That's what the Bible says. You don't have to go. Jesus is Christ. He died for you. He died to pay for your sin. He died so that the consequences of sin would be taken care of. But if we don't accept him, if we don't receive him, that's our eternal destiny. And for those of us who do know him, First Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 13, gives some of the sins of Israel throughout their history. And then Paul, the apostle, by the Holy Spirit, says, these are written for your example as warnings, as warnings. Even stories about true believers written for us. Look at the story of Samson. I've taught on him many times. I wrote a book about him. When I teach, I can usually do the whole story of Samson in 45 minutes. Judges chapter 14 to Judges chapter 16. And at the end, I'll usually say, I'll point out Judges 15, 20. I won't read it during the teaching. I'll read it at the end. And then Judges 16, 31. And those two verses say the same thing. Here's what it says. Samson led Israel for 20 years. And the story I tell about his life for 45 minutes of a message took 20 years. And one repeated mistake after another. And one of his main weaknesses. He was a he-man with a she-weakness. Romantic relationships that were out of the will of God. And because the hammer did not fall for 20 years, Samson kept on. But one day the hammer fell. I believe Hebrews 11 tells us he's saved. He's with the Lord. But what he suffered in this life unnecessarily. David no doubt is with the Lord. He's a saved man. The sexual sin with Bathsheba and the subsequent sins that followed. The sword never departed from his family. The things he brought upon himself and his family so unnecessarily could have been avoided, could have been prevented. I got to close. How long did God give Jezebel before the hammer came down? We aren't told. It's a bit of a mystery to me. You have the stories like Nadab and Abihu. You have the stories like Balaam and Jezebel and Ahab. And then contrast with Samson. Then you have New Testament Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. It seems like early on in their Christian life, they lied to the Holy Spirit, and one by one, God took their lives. And twice in that story, when each one of them are taken by the Lord, here's what it says, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. How long does God give us? The Bible doesn't tell us. That's God's prerogative. God's prerogative. He's God, I'm not. But he promises repeatedly, Old Testament and New Testament. First Thessalonians 4, 6, in regard to sexual sin, First Thessalonians 4, 6, the Lord will punish men for all such sins. Hebrews 13, 4, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. That's what he says. I don't like this message any better than you do if you want to know the truth. I like messages. I can tell a couple of jokes. Everybody goes away feeling really nice. And oh, wasn't that just a wonderful service? 
But if that's all the kind of messages a preacher gives, he's never teaching the full counsel of God, I'll tell you that. But before I close, I will end on a positive note. To him who overcomes, that's the one who never gets caught up in the sin or the one who got caught up in the sin and yet repents. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I'll give authority to the nations. You'll rule and reign with Christ. Verse 28, I'll also give him the morning star. What's that? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Jesus is coming. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's where it starts. The morning star rises in your hearts. What's the morning star? Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The morning star is the one that appears after the night has been its darkest. That's the prophecies. That's the book of Revelation. Before Jesus comes, the world will become more dark than ever before. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? I want to hear him say, well done. I don't want to go the way that I saw people go in the church right after I became a Christian. I don't want to go the way of my youth pastor. I don't want you to go that way. The Lord doesn't want you to go that way. I don't want to go the way of those guys that staggered to their room just living for this world. I don't want to go the way of Samson. I, I don't want to make it to heaven, uh, but just get there basically by the skin of my teeth and, and, and experience failure in this life as a Christian that causes me and my family unnecessary hurt, unnecessary pain, unnecessary scars. I know the culture we live in. I know the world we live in. And if you're going to be pure, sexually for the Lord. It's going to take real courage. It's going to take real spiritual fortitude. But Jesus will help you if you're willing. Lord Jesus, thank you for the sharpness of your word. It goes down deep. Judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Thank you for that word. And Lord, I pray 
Lord, I pray for myself. I pray you'd help me with one of the greatest temptations in life, sexual temptation. Help me to continue to live in victory. Help us that are living in victory to continue to live in victory. And then, Lord, grant even now repentance to those who need it. Maybe you're here, and just as we're bowed in closing prayer, maybe you've never really repented and received Christ as Lord and Savior. Do it right now. Do it right now. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. This is real stuff. Not a game. The Holy Spirit's drawing you. You'd like to repent and receive Christ. Do it right now. Pray from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now help me to live for you the rest of this life. You're here. When you came to the service, you did not doubt, and you do not doubt your salvation, but it could be that some Christians have gotten caught up ungodly relationships, sexual immorality, sexual sin. You need to repent. Repent right now. And then do whatever you have to do when you leave here to live in victory in the relationship, develop some godly relationships, get involved in the church relationally so that others who love the Lord, know the Lord, love the Lord can help you and you can help them to live in victory. We can encourage one another daily. Thank you again, Lord, for the power and the privilege to live a pure life for you in a very impure world, impure culture. Continue to help us to live in that purity, in that victory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, sing this.